Well, Donovan's gone and you're still here. I'd call that a pretty good sign. Heidi and I'll be grateful if you keep it up for the summer. Donovan said last Sunday, preaching to an empty sanctuary during the pandemic tested us all. And frankly, it's a test we don't want to have again. So I look forward to seeing you with great regularity over the next three months. This morning, I want to read two texts. The gospel listed in your bulletin is from the last part of Jesus's farewell prayer to his disciples. It follows the discourses in chapters 14 through 16 and comes just before his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane in chapter 18. Although the prayer is set within the ministry of Jesus during his earthly life, the perspective of the prayer is also that of the glorified Christ looking pastorally at his church and the world. Thus the prayer seems to hanging between heaven and earth. But this, in fact, is a position characteristic and distinctive for John, who often unites heaven and earth throughout the fourth gospel. This in-between space also informs our second reading. In Acts chapter 1, we find the story of Jesus' ascension. This past Thursday marked Ascension Day, and the liturgical calendar. Since it falls during the week, we often celebrate the last Sunday of Eastertide with an Ascension accent. One of the jobs that falls to the preaching pastor each week, and by the way, this was not something they taught at seminary, is to find something that will fit the theme of the sermon artistically for the bulletin cover. I mean, that was not in any class I had that that was going to be my job. Today I chose Giotto's beautiful ascension from the Arena Chapel, glorious um, painting. But I was sore tempted to share one of the Renaissance paintings I found depicting the apostles uh, looking up into heaven as Jesus is floating out of the top of the painting so all you see are his shins and his feet. Talk about in-between. But I figured that there's a fine line between religious imagination and art that causes giggles, and I didn't want to push it too far on Donovan's first week being gone. Well, let's turn to our text. First, from John's Gospel. Hear the Word of God. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, this is the eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I made your name known to those whom you gave me from this world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me, 
I'm asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. And turning to the first chapter of Acts, we read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When Jesus had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What do you suppose it was like for those first disciples huddled in that upper room with Jesus, hearing his final instructions and his prayer? They've had the supper. Jesus washed their feet. Judas vamoosed. And Jesus got serious. He promised them that they would not be orphaned, that the Spirit would come, but that he would have to leave them. Were they, do you think, leaning in and hanging on every word? Or were they like we get sometimes after a banquet, struggling to stay awake, eyelids at half-mast, head bobbing like a bobblehead doll? How much did they take in? Were they confused or worried? One commentator suggests that the reader of John 17 can best experience it as a parishioner listening to a pastoral prayer. Such a listener overhears, is involved, and is represented in the prayer, but not, of course, addressed by it. That got me thinking. It brought back a memory that I hadn't thought of in years. I I think maybe it was also because I was thinking about Annie and Sarah Jean and Eva leaving us today. My home church had a youth choir much like our Laudate choir. I had the incalculable blessing of having been part of it through my early teen years until my work schedule didn't allow for me to be consistently at worship on Sunday mornings. I suffered through the embarrassment of having to sing with the altos while my voice changed and being constantly compared with my sister and being found wanting because she had perfect pitch. I, on the other hand, compensate for pitch with volume, a problem that John and the staff bring to my attention with great regularity. But the memory that came back was listening to one of our ministers, Dick Ferguson, pray the pastoral prayer. Dick was our executive pastor and had four kids our age in the youth group. His son Mark, a year older in my sister's class, sat next to me in choir. And when Dick would step behind the communion table and say, the Lord be with you, in that deep and resonant voice to start the pastoral prayer, all the miscreant boys in the choir would do the same thing. We would look at our watches 
and start to time him. (laughs) Then the fun would start. Because you see, we had taken bets before the worship service on how long Dick's prayer would run. Three minutes turned into four and then rounded into five. And you knew who was new in the choir because they timed out early on their bets. I can still remember the day that Dick outlasted all of us when he posted an eight minute and 43 second prayer, a new record in the history of Christian church, we thought. But you know what? After some time, I put away the watch and started listening. What struck me that when Dick wasn't talking to us, no. He was talking to God, and he was bringing the needs of the congregation, the needs of our town, the needs of our country, the needs of the whole world right up to the lap of God. And it was beautiful, haunting, holy. It made me feel like I was something, I I, I was part of something much bigger than myself, caught up in the mystery and majesty of God. Annie, Sarah Jean, Eva, I pray that you have felt some of that maybe not timed my long prayers, but that you would know what a blessing you have been to be part of us and that you go knowing we will pray for you because you're still part of us and we love you. What's it like to be prayed for? It can be empowering. I can still feel the weight of the hands pressing down on me while I was kneeling in the chancel of my home church as pastors and elders prayed for me when I was ordained. That was 37 years ago this summer. And I can still reach back in my memory to feel the movement of the Spirit through the laying on of hands and prayer. It can be empowering for the whole congregation as well. Early in ministry, uh, summer I was planning the church before we began actually worshiping, was the only chance in my life I've had to church shop. Now I know some of you out there have done that. I, I, you know, I've been working every Sunday, so I don't get a chance to do that much. But for the summer before we began worshiping, I did, and in the early fall. I visited the churches in the communities, some of which were quite large and growing, and I was struck by the practice that happened in the largest, a 5,000-member Methodist church in Roswell. When it came time for the pastoral prayer, the pastor would read off 10 or 12 prayer cards that had come in. There were literally hundreds, but he would pick out some The Joneses are celebrating their 60th anniversary, and you could feel the congregation rise with gratitude. For Dottie undergoing treatment for pancreatic cancer, you could feel that congregation just caring. So-and-so's son in the hospital after a motorcycle accident, the birth of a baby, the death of a beloved spouse. What struck me was how the whole congregation experienced the range of emotion as prayers of intercession and thanksgiving were offered. 
And that large church felt small because people knew that the whole range of their lives were being lifted to God. I am I'm deeply grateful for the privilege we have to pray for you. When the staff gathers on Tuesday mornings, we lift your names in prayer. There's a ministry team that on, on Thursdays writes, writes notes to folks who need encouragement or celebration. What a gift it is to be in a congregation that takes seriously the prayers of one another. Beyond empowering, being prayed for, praying for others can be humbling and awkward. After all, many of us are private people and we believe we can shoulder our own challenges on our own, thank you very much. The narrative of rugged individualism is such a part of our culture that we forget that the church offers us a different path. The gift of community where we weep for those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Where we bear one another's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. In an article entitled, How Do You Pray With Others in Their Times of Need? My friend and pastor, writer Kathy Long Bostrom shares lessons she learned in her ministry over at How to Pray With Others When They're Sick, Dying, or Grieving. She writes, I was woefully unprepared the first time I was called to offer comfort at the bedside of a dying woman. Over 40 years ago, I studied at Princeton Theological Seminary on a journey to ordained ministry that I never imagined as a shy, unchurched introvert. Our training for ministry required hands-on experience, and I served one semester as a student chaplain in a nearby elder care facility. During my first week, our supervisor had left for a day off, and the voice over the intercom announced, Chaplain, room 209, stat. That meant me, she said. I hurried to the room and found an elderly woman curled up in bed as life solely ebbed from her fragile flame. The woman's daughter sat at the foot of the bed and the nurse hovered nearby. Sit there, she directed, pointing to the chair. I sat and I froze. I didn't know what to do or or where to begin. Finally, the nurse said tersely, could you please pray for Mrs. Northrup and her daughter? I could, and I did, hesitant and brief, nothing profound or eloquent. I'm glad the nurse prompted me when she did, because Mrs. Northrup died soon after, and my prayer, meager as it was, had both brought comfort and framed the moment as sacred. I learned that I had something holy to offer in a moment like that, and I resolved to be better prepared next time. And I was. The disciple asked Jesus, Lord, teach me to pray. And we need to learn how to pray as well. It's not only those in church leadership who have opportunities to pray with people in time of need. The truth is, we learn to pray by praying. She goes on, using your own words, however imperfect, will make your prayer a genuine and moving conclusion to your visit. But if you're not comfortable praying off the cuff, don't. You can use prayers provided in resources, Book of Common Worship, or write your own ahead of time. There's no shame in writing a prayer from a note card, sharing it. 
And then she provides a simple prayer. Introduction, use a phrase for God that appeals to you. Almighty God, loving God, Lord of all life. Followed by a word of gratitude. We thank you for your faithfulness. You are the giver of every good and perfect gift. You are always there for us. Followed by a simple request using the person's name. Grant Sarah your loving care. Surround Jerome with your healing mercies. Let your healing power be at work in Jay. Bless Padma with courage, strength, and hope. Guide Carlos with your wisdom. Comfort M in this time of loss. Then add a second request. Fill her with peace. Grant her your strength. Encourage them each day. Connect with family and bless her partner and keep him close to Judy and the kids and bless loved ones near and far. A simple closing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The more often you pray in person, the more comfortable you become, soon you'll develop your own outline, rhythm, and phrasing, and you'll likely become more aware the Holy Spirit is with you as you pray. And you'll feel less awkward. I can tell you it's a gift It's a gift when you can pray for others. And it's a gift when someone you care about prays for you. I think what's even more wonderful to consider is that Jesus prays for us. That's His promise. In our Gospel reading specifically, He prays that we would be one as He and God, along with the Holy Spirit, are one. In an age of deep dissension and disagreement, when there are so many things that can and do divide us, how can Jesus' prayer keep us together as the body of Christ at work in the world? It's here at the table of grace that we remember that we are not our own, that we have been bought with a price. And that the Holy Comforter who binds the broken church in unity beyond our feeble capacities keeps us secure in God's love and mercy. When the blast went out from the office on Friday afternoon, I, I received a, a text message from one of our members. It said, so, what's it like to be prayed for? I can tell you firsthand, my brother, it's knowing and feeling the presence of God in the midst of pain, doubt, grief, and despair. It's a sublime understanding that you are loved by others. It's believing without seeing. It's beautiful. Thanks be to God for the gift and responsibility of caring for each other in prayer. Amen.